On December 3, 2022, Boris Shevnevsky, former member of parliament in Canada, and owner of Future Bakery, served as the keynote speaker at a special charitable dinner hosted by the Royal Canadian Legion in Bala, Ontario. Boris described Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine, and provided a deeply unique perspective, not only is Boris the Canadian son of Ukrainian refugees who arrived in Canada after the Second World War, he has also spent many years warning governments around the world about Vladimir Putin and his intentions on Ukraine, warnings that sadly have become a tragic reality. Keep listening to this episode of The Life of a Servant to hear this impassioned speech in its entirety. It's an honor to find myself amongst you here this evening, amongst comrades. It's quite appropriate that this event is taking place in a Legion Hall. You and I, and all Canadians, have something in common. The freedom and consequent prosperity that we are the beneficiaries of is thanks to the great sacrifices of the brave men and women of the Canadian Armed Forces, many of whom paid the ultimate price during humanity's greatest tragedy, the horror of World War II. As the board outside of your Legion Hall states, they fought for your freedoms, for our freedoms. It was upon the ruins of World War II that the architecture of a rules-based world order was constructed. International institutions organized, the United Nations, defensive alliances built, NATO, treaties, conventions, and accords signed, the Helsinki Accords, with their decalogue of inalienable human rights. This rules-based international order, although imperfect, has brought the world 75 years of relative peace and its consequent unprecedented prosperity. On May 7th of the year 2000, ex-KGB officer Vladimir Putin became the president of Russia. Over the next two decades, Putin has methodically transformed Russia's messy, nascent democracy into a centralized dictatorship. War, beginning with the Chechen, Chechen war and the leveling of Grozny, glorified. The military sanctified to the extreme of even building a grand patriarchal cathedral and theme park on the outskirts of Moscow, featuring the blending of Russian-Soviet symbolism with Eastern Orthodox iconography. Independent media and political opposition suppressed, and those voices that would not be suppressed eliminated. A hallmark of Putin's regime has been his highly choreographed culture of assassinations at home and abroad. 
Opposition leader Boris Nemtsov, who rallied against the 2014 invasion of Ukraine, shot on a Moscow bridge with the Kremlin as a backdrop. The so-called police investigation carried live on Russian news programs for hours that night as the officers rolled his corpse back and forth through a pool of blood. KGB defector Litvinenko, slowly withering away in a London hospital, poisoned by radioactive polonium. Putinism calls for the subordination of the individual for the supposed good of the state and the Russian race and the restoration of Russian imperial territories. Under Putin, 21st century Russia has transformed into a 20th century pre-World War II fascist state along with 18th century imperialistic ambitions. To satisfy Putin's and imperialistic vision, our post-World War II international rules-based order needs to be broken. An independent and democratic Ukraine on Russia's borders destroyed. As we inevitably compared Putin's transformation to Hitler's Third Reich, the only missing element in Putin's resume was a genocidal war. That changed on July 21st of 2021, when on Putin's presidential Kremlin website, he published an essay titled On the Historical Unity of Russians and Ukrainians. Its first line opens with the statement that Russians and Ukrainians were one people. It's a 7,000-word-long project at history-altering distortions that concludes with, we will never allow our historical territories, Ukraine, and people living there to be used against Russia, for we are one people. Ominously, hundreds of thousands of copies of this essay were distributed as compulsory reading and study to every Russian soldier. Reading the essay, one realizes that it's not only Putin's declaration of an existentialist threat to the state of Ukraine, it goes further, much further. It is a denial of the existence and the right to exist of a people. The Ukrainian nation, my people, my family in Ukraine, we are to cease to exist. On February 7th of this year, President Putin and French President Macron held a, just, uh, a, a joint press conference in the Kremlin. In front of the world's media, in response to a question regarding Ukraine, Putin responded in Russian, It translates as, whether you like it or not, suffer my beauty. What the French president and world media did not understand was the psychopathic cultural connotation of necrophilia and rape of this particular Russian saying. It was not lost on Ukrainians. On February 24th, it began. Ukraine cities were rained down upon by missiles as almost 200,000 Russian invaders on tanks, armored personnel carriers, 
in jets and helicopters, attacked. Putin envisioned a blitzkrieg, reminiscent of Hitler's invasion of Poland in 1939. Instead, Russian soldiers were countered by tens of thousands of Ukrainian volunteers wearing running shoes and carrying hunting rifles, who joined territorial defense units, while their brothers and sisters in the Ukrainian armed forces countered with British and laws and American javelins. Throughout Kyiv, people lined up at service stations to fill up cans of petrol, not to flee, but so as to prepare thousands of Molotov cocktails to greet the Russian invaders. President Zelensky, channeling the spirit of the Ukrainian nation, declined Western offers of fleeing to sanctuary, disdainfully stating, I need ammunition, not a ride. Meanwhile, the decision was made to save the current generation of mothers and children from Russian genocidal intentions. They were to leave their homeland and find refuge in the West. On front pages of newspapers, we saw images of thousands sheltering in subway stations in basements, reminiscent of the London Blitz. On our TV news screens, whole residential apartment complexes lay in ruins. Those televised feeds of piles of concrete and steel do not convey the full horror of those shattered shards of human lives. As you approach that rubble and you get close, you see shoes and toys. You see, there's something about bombs. They blow apart buildings, they tear apart human bodies, but small items like shoes and toys remain intact as dust-covered reminders of the lives that were. And then there's the smell. A nauseating smell of burnt electrical wire, concrete dust, and human remains. Just in one city, Mariupol, the estimates are that 100,000 Ukrainians perished, most buried in Mariupol's concrete ruins. Over 9 million Ukrainians fled west, 87% of whom are women and children. In the West and in Canada, people were on the move as well. In the first month of Putin's war, a colleague monitoring the Polish-Ukrainian border at one crossing reported a river of women and children fleeing Ukraine and a constant line of men entering Ukraine. He noted a preponderance of men with military haircuts and physiques. Proudly, he related to me how often he would see the Canadian flag on their backpacks. In, the, in those first few months, over 5,000 Canadians volunteered for Ukraine, and over 600 have served or are currently serving in Ukraine's armed forces. In the months since February 24th, Ukraine's army, with their limited arms, has not only stopped the supposed second greatest military in the world, it has deoccupied 
territory after territory. And although we celebrate these Ukrainian victories, there's always trepidation that follows the liberation. There are the physical reminders of Russian occupation, the villages, towns, and cities, 40 to 100% of all buildings standing in ruin. But there's also the inevitable uncovered torture chambers and mass graves. There's the physical destruction, and then there are the searing memories of survivors, documented by international investigators, reports such as the UN report on the Independent Commission of Inquiry of Ukraine, unlawful confinement, starvation, torture, purposeful wounding, gang rapes of women and children from the ages of 4 to 83, summary executions, and thousands of Ukrainian children kidnapped and disappeared into Russia. Before the start of Putin's genocidal invasion, I and many others warned that without Western arms and aid in the ruins of democratic Ukraine would lie the ruins of a post-World War II international rules-based order, which has brought 75 years of peace and prosperity. In recent years, study after study has shown democracy in retreat globally, under attack by enemies from without as well as from within. Many in the West had become defeatist, often stating that our children and grandchildren would inherit a world of lesser opportunities of lesser freedoms. Instead, as we've watched Ukrainians, the world and we have become inspired. In Ukraine, we see an irrepressibly determined democratic nation of 44 million united who are not only fighting for their lives and country, but who have de facto become a shield for NATO and its democratic alliance. In the West, our alliances and values that unite us have been invigorated. In Ukrainians, we see the spirit of the generation of our grandparents and parents who believed in the fundamental freedoms of thought, conscience, equal opportunity, equal rights, self-determination, who believed in democracy and human dignity and were willing to stand on guard, to, stand sh to shoulder the cost of freedom to which this Legion Hall and the over 1,000 Legion Halls across Canada stand in testimony of. During the past several weeks, as Putin's army lost territory in Ukraine, he's resorted to a new form of terror. Cruise missiles, ballistic rockets, and Iranian drones rain down on civilian energy and utility infrastructure, as well as on hospitals, including maternity hospitals across Ukraine. Tens of millions of Ukrainians find themselves in stone-cold apartment blocks with no electricity, no heat, no water. Yesterday, my in-laws described the plight of a 75-year-old invalid and widow, Marina Alexandrovna, a neighbor, who lives on a 10th floor without a working elevator, no heat, no water or sewage. They brought her a couple buckets of water. As winter descends upon Ukraine and the temperature plummets, the question becomes, 
How many Ukrainians will we allow Putin to freeze and starve to death? Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis, friends, during this coldest and darkest of seasons, we gather in circles of family and friends, such as tonight's gathering. We do so to reaffirm our belief in peace and goodwill. Your goodwill and donations tonight reaffirm our belief in humanity and will quite literally help save lives during the bitter cold of the winter phase of Putin's genocidal war against Ukraine. Finally, if I could be so bold to seed an idea for this Legion Hall. Literally thousands of brave Ukrainian fighters have been left without limbs and are lying in dark and often cold hospital beds. If this hall could set an example for hundreds of halls across Canada and pledge to adopt an amputee veteran to come to Canada for treatment and to be fitted with a prosthetic. What an incredible message of hope and the brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity we would send to Ukraine from Canada. Friends, during this darkest and coldest of seasons, we light Christmas candles, symbols of hope and the triumph of light over darkness. This Christmas, I ask that you light a candle for the people of Ukraine. Thank you, and God bless. Slava Ukraini! You have been listening to The Life of a Servant, a Dennis Mills podcast. Visit DennisMills.com for more information and archived episodes of this program. Thank you.